everybody, what's going on? Welcome to This Week in Mormons. Glad to have you here. This is the premier Latter-day Saint news podcast. I'm Jeff Openshaw. I'm Devin Thorpe. Yeah, good. Did I, do it, did I do it right, Jeff? Not only did you do it right, you did so with aplomb, my friend. That was very good. <laughs> it's that a thrill to be here with you this week. Nice to see you, buddy. Uh, what's going on down there in gator country? How's life? Yeah. Um, I saw a uh, gator in the swimming pool at our condo today and then realized <laughs> then I realized like, it was plastic. It was the little uh, gator-shaped uh, pool skimmer, but uh, you like, know, there for like, a second. I thought it was some sort of weird way to scare away the gators. They put fake gators to keep the other gators yeah. away because they're solitary. Uh, no, they're not. I don't know. I think that uh, would attract them. Gators like gators. I think. Well, here I thought you were like straight up leaning into the cliche, but it wasn't yeah. real. That's okay. No. Sorry. Cool. Um, well, I hope everything is There well is a into- sign next. We have a little pond next to our place here. And there's a you know sign that says, you know, don't go in the water because they're alligators. Yeah. We've Florida's never seen like the that. alligators. But yeah. Everyone wants but- to like, you know, people want to move to Florida, but- because there's all the water, but I guess you got to restrict yourself to salt water in Florida. Like you don't go in the water unless it's the yeah. beach, despite all the many lakes everywhere. That would just be, I remember a couple, well, a handful of years ago, wasn't there, it was a terrible, terrible tragedy. Some uh, little yeah. kid was playing on the beach at one of the resorts at Disney World. And that's yeah. like their own little controlled lake thing that they own in front of the Grand Floridian. Kid goes yeah. near the water and a gator got him. And uh yep. They have signs yeah, up horrible. like you don't. There's a beach here, but you don't go down in the water. But man, what a what is going on in that strange, strange place? It's America's Australia it down there, Devin. <laughs> it is. To quote you know, it, it is. It's really funny to me, and you, you'd have some appreciation for this, having moved from Utah, which you know Utah is arguably the most Republican state in the in the country, certainly one of the most Republican, but. Uh, so is North. So is North Florida, though. <laughs> but yeah, but, you know. So Florida is about fifty-fifty or fifty-one forty-nine, uh, but it's definitely uh, culturally more more conservative than Utah, which I find yeah. to be very interesting. And that may just be Northern Florida, but it, it's remarkably more conservative than than uh, Salt Lake City. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, of course, more than Salt yeah. Lake City. For sure. Yeah, and I guess that's part of the juxtaposition of experiences, right? I left downtown Salt Lake City, the most liberal place in Utah, and moved to the most conservative place in Florida. And I'm wondering why it doesn't feel more liberal. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. I'm, Shame uh, on me. Shame on me. You know, you know, DC suburbs is interesting. DC itself, no, no surprise to anyone, right? What the political leanings of Greater DC might be. Mm-hmm. But I'm kind of like you're kind of on the edge here. I'm like it's blue, purple country. But all I have to do is drive yeah. 20, 25 minutes out, and next thing you know, you're a much more rural territory. And then, based on the political signs, it's like totally, totally different world. I mean, the rural yeah. urban divide is very pronounced in Virginia, uh, which which does make oh, it pretty sure. interesting. Like just in terms of politics and the way things work out here, it's. It's fun to watch, yeah. you know, if you can remove yourself from all the drama of it all. It's just interesting from a yes. research standpoint to see how it is. Oh, well, cool. Well, good times, my friend. Yeah. Um, yeah. We, we've got a great show this week, folks. Lots of good things are going to happen. Uh, there I are had some a, interesting things. I, before we get there, I've had an interesting few weeks as well. They put me in the bishopric. So, oh, no way. No way. Congratulations. Well, is that, that what we that, say? Okay. Yeah, no way. Yeah. <laughs> that is pretty awesome. That is pretty awesome. So uh, first counselor, second counselor, bishop, what second, are you? Second counselor. Oh, not the bishop. Nobody would, nobody would do that. Let's, let's, 
Well, that's, Twi- that's Twim Nation, great. Pray that, the, pray that this is as far as it gets, Tr- Twim Nation. Congratulations. Congratulations. Not that I, I do not believe that it's like elevation per se, but let's pray that I I don't reach for the stars anymore. <laughs> My bishop's only got about a year and change left until his time is up. So let's... Uh, that's a scary... I think I think you've got uh, big things in your future. No, no, no. The no, question no, no. is, will you have time for Twim when you get called to be the bishop? That is I've, the key question. You know, time is one thing, but I even debate like if I were, for one thing, to be clear, everyone, I've not been called as a bishop, nor do I think I will be. But um, even even with being a counselor, it's more like, should I continue Twim doing something like this? Because you're, you're increasingly yeah. more cognizant of the voice you put out there and your role in leadership and award and what that means. And I think on Twin, we have laughs, we have good times. Mm-hmm. I try to be like measured in what we do here. I mean, I have my own views yeah. on things, but we try to have respectful discussions, even with differing, you know, differing views and the things we do. But, but I'm always thoughtful about that. Like, like how would I feel if someone in my flock, for lack of a better term, you know, listened to the podcast and would that, could that be a thing that could be a negative for someone's relationship with the church. And that's just something you have to yeah. consider. When I was elders quorum president, I kind of went through the same thing. I thought like, should I continue this for that reason? I was busy too, but like, you know, or, or is this, is this kind of segregated or sequestered enough from the rest of my life that no one really knows? Cause I don't like I advertise doing this in church or anything like that. I've always, I, I yeah. rarely, I really have ever bring up this podcast in a church setting. Cause I feel like it would be inappropriately promoting it. And you kind of like leveraging church for that. And I just yeah. think that's just kind of just wrong ethically. So I would never do it. Um, so I don't know. We'll see. So I yeah. think so far my, I'm still good. My twim highlight, uh, was a few episodes ago when I was on and I got an email from someone in our stake here in Jacksonville. Say, hey, Oh yeah, uh, I've always been a Devon fan. I love love the episodes when you're on, and now you're here, living in my very stake. I'm so excited. Well, so, now you, you got to go. You to never lunch know; with that it's person. a small you've, world. Yeah. You've got to go to yeah. lunch with that person. Yeah. You got to do it. So, I mean, we had yeah. we had enough drama. I mean, back when ordained women was a thing, and Kate Kelly was in my same stake, and they were like board members. Uh, that that was a whole fun thing going on here. My poor stake presidency was very measured and collected, but <laughs> there, there were a lot of concerns oh, during, during that stretch. Yeah. Oh, that was oh, yeah, that's that's stuff. Yeah, so a lot of cool stuff we'll get into this week. Obviously, yeah. some interesting temple updates and interesting milestones. Um, some some uh, property damage for missionaries. The weird history of like white national, like radical far right nationalism and church. Um, the notion of that the mission mom is a lot more than that. As uh, also preparation for Trek, everybody, because Trek is coming your way, even if it shouldn't. <laughs> Uh, some updates from the media sense of, of crazy true stories, not just true crime, not the one you're all thinking of, but true stories uh, of things that have happened to Latter-day Saints over the past 30 years, some of which are being adapted for screen. There's even more of that. And uh, some updates on temple garments. A lot of cool things we're going to get into this week. And I don't even know. I don't even know where to start, Devin. There's so many choices. Maybe you can start. I don't want to start. Yeah, you go yeah. Ahead. Well, you go ahead. let's let's jump into uh, the mission mom story, if you don't okay. mind. No, go for um, it. So uh, you caught this that I had missed. Uh, fascinating little piece uh, about. Um, let me check her name here, Lisa Harkness, mm-hmm. uh, who is now serving as officially a mission leader. Uh, which turns out is the new name for uh, the spouse of a mission president. That is the official calling. Uh, 
And this is something that is kind of near and dear and interesting. So the article talks about how it is to sort of be the mom, the mission mom to more than 200 missionaries. She's serving in the Canada Montreal mission. But yeah. my mother, my mother was, uh, had this job when my dad was a mission president in Spokane, Washington. And I was young enough to still be at home. Uh, my dad was a fairly young mission president. And so I was there. Uh, watching her go through this. And uh, one of the interesting things is she, uh, until the day she died, she was a little bit resentful that she, although she was set apart, the same time my father was set apart, they did not record her as having served a mission at that time. And so she served a three-year mission, worked full-time in her mind, uh, and did not get recorded on the records of the church as having served a mission. Um, huh. so that that's interesting. I hope the fact that they have created an official title that did not exist when my mother served, that they do record them as serving missions. Now that's only appropriate and fair. I hope that's what that means. Um, but I tell you, um, I don't think my mother was ever happier, uh, than serving in that role. What a joy every day. Uh, it was just, uh, I mean, she spent so much time, so much energy, and she just loved every minute of it. Um, uh, it even distracted her from, you know, well, I won't say it. <laughs> anyway, she loved it. <laughs> I always she loved, loved it. <laughs> One thing I love seeing, I mean, I love, we always call him, you know, the mission mom when I was out in Spain, mm -hmm. and they were they were both great. We, I, I served three quarters of my mission with the Bowens, and then the last uh, quarter of it with the, with the new mission president. Just fun to see how they interact. And for me, it was a lot of fun because while I had more time with the first one, I was in leadership roles in the mission for, near, at, for the last stretch. So it kind of made up for that where I got to spend a lot more like one-on-one -on -one time with the mission president and his wife, the mission leaders, as we call them. Yeah. And that was, that, that was really fun and really insightful. Another thing I loved at the time is they had the foresight to be more proactive in involving sister missionaries. This is kind of because it's one thing we've talked about for years on the show and even in the church. How do you let sisters serve in leadership positions? Like, like I've long held like, like being a district leader, they are district leaders in the temple square mission, for example, because there are no elders, but mm -hmm. at the same time, as far as I know, being a district leader is an assignment. You know, you're not called to it. You're not set apart for it. You don't do anything to it. You're just given an assignment. And so why can't they do it? But I think the church has, has grown and adapted and, and looked for more ways to have them involved. And on my mission, it was really cool to see the way they would uh, invite sisters up every month when we zone leaders would go to Barcelona and have meetings with the mission president, you know, usual little, you know, weekend seminar kind of stuff. Um, they started inviting the sister missionaries from, I forgot how they decided because it wasn't every sister missionary, obviously. I think it was ones that had so much time in the field or something like that. I don't remember what it was, but that was cool. And it was fun because it's like, yeah, they weren't, they weren't the zone leaders, but our mission president saw value in saying like, yeah, I need to get the sister missionaries in here too and let them receive this counsel and not receive it secondhand from their dumb zone leader, me, right? Which made a lot of sense. So that was cool. Uh, anyway, yeah, this article is a fun profile now that I've brought it up here of Lisa Harkness and how she's, a, her title, they say, is her official title is mission leader. And this is a curious thing that I haven't, like, I don't, I don't know how codified this is. They, they do show, like I found another older story. Back in December, we talked about how they updated member tools so you can share contact information with mission leaders. And the verbiage there, they showed a picture of mission president and his wife, like Leif and Linda Erickson. And it says, who served as mission leaders 
collectively during their period in Zambia, for example. So it's like a term we're using, but at the same time, if you go to LDS.org, sorry, churchofjesuschrist.org and search for mission leaders, you don't like really find much. And even the idea of mission leader in this article, this is probably just from where it comes from. This article is specifically from the uh, Canadian portal for the church. It's not from the main page. So if you <laughs> click on it, it also takes you to a Canadian page about mission leader. But most of it, if you look for a new mission presidents, it says very specifically mission president and his companion and his companion, the classic verbiage. So I don't know, maybe this is a newer thing that we're not pushing uh, well enough and we we need to. And I don't think it takes away yeah. from the idea of being the mission mom either at the same time. But I like this Q&A. But I think it's, yeah, I, I really think that the, although it's an endearing term and in the gospel, you know, in our church context, we think of mom as being high praise having a title other than mother for someone who is not, in fact, the mother to these people is very appropriate, but it should be uh, totally formalized, totally formalized so that, uh, you know, the, the women who are devoting the same three years their husbands are don't come home and find themselves having served only as the wife of their husband for three years. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's way more than that. It's way more. Yeah. Than that. And that's one thing I like the idea of the mission mom, but I also worry about the the restrictive connotations of that. You think, well, here's the president doing, and then here's the mom, here's the mom doing yeah. motherly chores. And this article was brought yeah. up because it was Mother's Day and we're trying to acknowledge that, but I, I think we're on the yeah. same page here. It's a fun profile and they, they do a little Q&A with her just about her experiences, the things she learns, how missionaries are part of their family. It's it's a very nice read. I love, I love insights from people in these types of roles and seeing what they learn from. Like I've never aspired to any calling, but I think it would be really interesting to be a mission president. Like of all the things you could do in the church, yeah. just a fascinating way to dedicate your time. One it's thing fascinating know- too. Oh, you know, you, no, no, you, you, you pointed it out to me and okay. I think it's really an important thing uh, that you pointed out to me before we went live. And that is that she has been serving in the general uh, primary presidency. And that fact is not mentioned in the article. Uh, yeah, it's, it, and I scoured it. I looked all over for primary, anything, primary presidency council or anything like that. And yeah. there was no mention of this. She was in the primary presidency just until she was the first counselor in it until yeah. last year. Because in 2021 she, is when yeah. they called Sister Johnson yeah. and the new president or President Johnson and the new presidency. And now she's going to switch over and be the Relief Society president. Yeah. I mean, this is a woman who's spoken in general conference before. Yeah. It, it, you know, I... It, it really is, uh, it was unkind and disrespectful uh, to not mention her past standing uh, and to imply that her only duty at this point is to be a mission mom. Uh, uh, this is a super accomplished leader in the church. Uh, and yet, I think it it's not like this is an article about President Nelson where you don't need to explain the history, right? We all know that he's been an apostle for 40 years. There are people who don't recognize the name Lisa Harkness. It would it was totally appropriate, inappropriate not to mention that. It's, uh, it's interesting to me. Yeah, I, I uh, she spoke twice in conference, honoring his name and then peace be still, both October 2019 and October 2020, respectively. She was a pandemic yeah. speaker even. Um, yeah. It's she uh, was on the, the uh, yeah she, she's on the primary general board for a, for a number of years before she's yes, called before the president. That. So yeah. so it is curious, right? I mean, um, 
she's been there since July 2021 after they uh, did the release and they've been in the mission field and good for them. But it is a strange editorial choice to leave that that information. I don't I don't uh, yeah fully get why they would do that. Why not provide that additional context? Like you said, like before, to me, you know, if uh, they wouldn't do that to a male, it's highly unlikely yeah. they would not mention all of their previous service. Yeah, if, it was, it, if it was relevant to that, if it was like so-and-so who happened to be the general young men's president at another period of time, it would probably yeah. come up. It would probably come yeah. up. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, think yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. All right. I've got a, I, I want to call this a fun one, even though hate crimes aren't fun, but I don't know. It's just, yeah. you know, I, I you know, you can I mean. see the humor in this. You can see the humor. So in this. a man in Connecticut has been charged with a hate crime after setting fire to the missionary's vehicle. Apparently he lived in an apartment above the missionaries in Torrington, Connecticut. Uh, and, um, According to police statements, the perpetrator was, quote, tired of the missionaries knocking on doors and trying to convert his family and friends. So Samuel Van Dusen, 22, uh, by the way, great mugshot. I don't have it in this article, but we, I saw it elsewhere and uh, just seems very pleased with himself. Was <laughs> He was charged with a lot. Deprivation of rights, third degree arson, first degree criminal mischief, and second degree breach of peace. Deprivation of rights is considered a hate crime, though. Because he was targeting yeah. the missionaries, not at random, but specifically for re- religious reasons. Uh, and so he's been held, unless it's changed since we wrote the article, but he's been held on a uh, quarter million dollar bond. And so the Fox 61 interviewed people and they said, yeah, that around 3 a.m. they saw a man stuff a lit rag into the gas filler uh, cap in a Chevy Equinox and tried to, you know, nuke the whole uh, whole vehicle. So that's curious. He accomplished very little. Uh, it looks I mean, to I, me from the photos that it looks to me like the car is going to spend a couple of days in the shop uh, to be repaired. It might be worse than that. I don't know. I, don't, I mean, something happened to the front windows, too, in the process. No one commented yeah, on the fact that they, they probably broke in, probably broke in the, the, the fire department to make sure the fire was out. Oh, I was going to say maybe. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how uh, you drive a GM. Oh, you don't have a gas car, though. Never mind. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm saying, is it a yeah. gas? Is it a gas cap that requires interior release to open? Oh, it? so maybe Whereas the perpetrator did do that. Yeah, yeah. Some do, some don't. I think the. So, G, I think well, yeah. My GM gas cap on my charger port uh, just is one of those you tap down and little spring loaded thing. Spring, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So this happened. Interestingly, too, the uh, of. Kind of out of nowhere, the Council on American Islamic Relations spoke up about the incident. They don't provide a lot of context for why they of all groups did. Um, but for some context, the church has done a lot with with CARE, the Council on American Islamic Relations in the past. Uh, you might not hear about it, but I've even been to a CARE fundraising dinner at which the church, like Public Affairs for Southern California, bought a table. Uh, we do a lot of things that we don't always talk about publicly. But they said Americans of all faiths should be free to share their faith without fear of intimidation or attack. We condemn this alleged bias-motivated attack and urge community leaders to speak out against the type of bigotry that inevitably leads to such incidents. And while we can chuckle a little bit about this entire thing, Definitely worth noting that Latter-day Saints are very much in the minority in terms of being on the receiving end of hate crimes uh, in the United States. Uh, In 2019, the FBI revealed it had been tracking hate crimes against religious groups for some time. It documented 15 anti-Mormon hate crimes during a certain period. But during that same period, uh, Jews experienced hate crimes at 63 times the rate we did and Muslims at 18 times the rate uh, we did. So that is really remarkable. Yeah, it doesn't make it's not okay for for anyone, you know, there shouldn't be any mm-hmm. a single hate crime, but let's also bear in mind that uh 
there's a lot of people whose faith communities are are much more under assault than we might be for something. Yeah, like and this. Jeff, I, you correct me if I'm wrong, but I think in terms of at least in terms of orders of magnitude, the number of Jewish people, Muslims, and Mormons in the country is about the same, right? I think that might be right. Uh, Latter-day Saints are a little bit under maybe 2% of the U.S. population. So it's probably close to that, yeah. Six million, yeah. So it's at least in terms of like orders of magnitude, it's yeah. pretty, you know. Or per capita. It's, it's far, far worse. Let's see here. Well, now now I want to look this up, but we should do other things. Yeah, Jewish is about 1.9%. Jew, Jewish is 1.9%, yeah. So. Muslims, 0.9%. Yeah, so they're about half as many. Yeah. Um, you know, the I had a fun experience back in Salt Lake. I, I visited two weeks ago uh, after uh, for the first time back since I moved to Jacksonville at Christmas time. And uh, I, I gave a friend of mine a call. And he's serving as the bishop in one of the new wards, assi- one of the wards assigned to the new chapel that is part of the skyscraper downtown in Salt Lake. Oh, cool. And I, I saw that. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and my old my old ward where I used to live now meets in this building as well. So it was significant to me on multiple levels. So I'm excited to talk about it. It's interesting. From the renderings, I never appreciated how the building was designed, but it is designed with a fairly overt chapel uh, upon which a skyscraper sits. Uh, and so it, it's designed to appear that the, the, uh, building is sort of cantilevered over yeah. the chapel, uh, which is a little bit of a, of a, you know, a visual trick. Of course, it doesn't really do that, but, uh, it's designed to appear that way. And it's really quite striking, quite beautiful. Um, and there are some really spectacular views from inside the chapel, not inside the chapel chapels, but inside the meeting house portion of the building, uh, looking down uh, south and, uh, you know, down into the valley. So it's really kind of a nice chapel. Uh, there are two, two chapel chapels. Um, uh, the downstairs one is a little bit smaller than the upstairs one. The downstairs one has a bona fide, well, half court basketball court, but there is a hoop, uh, and the upstairs one has a little smaller overflow and not doesn't have a basketball court. Uh, the chapels are nice; they are not spectacular; they are not special. I don't mean to insult anyone who's going to church in those wards now, but uh, they are very nice. But I think there are six wards meeting in that building from at least two stakes, if not three. I think it must be three stakes that wow. are sending wards there, uh, one from the Liberty Stake, a couple from the Salt Lake Stake, and the other others from, I think, from the Ensign Stake, if I'm not mistaken. And I could be, but um, it's it, it'll be a great blessing. Like the fourth ward where I used to attend, which is called the fourth ward because it was the fourth ward of the church organized in 1849, along with the other first 29 wards of the Salt Lake area at the time. And it was the first time I understand that the wards were created in the church. I may have that wrong, but that's what I think. It's the first. So it was the fourth ward. 
very historic, very cool. But for the last 30 years, since the Fourth Ward building uh, burned to the ground, uh, they have been wandering like nomads in the wilderness, going from guest spot to guest spot in other chapels. And uh, now I took a picture of the of the Fourth Ward's name on the wall inside this new building, and cool. it has a look of of a look and feel of permanence that they have lacked for 30 years. It's kind of exciting for them. And isn't it built on the site of the old pioneer era social hall? I think I read something in the article that they've got some, like they've got like a little display area about some of the history of the actual lot that it sits on. Yeah. I don't know if that's in the building or if it's adjacent to it. The, the, there is a little museum. Oh, it's an underground social hall. An an underground tunnel entrance. There it is. Okay. Yeah. It's immediately adjacent. It is not in the. It's not in the building. You know, itself. I'm looking at this this place up on Google Maps. Did the Harmons basically lose its entire site? I mean, last time I was in Utah, that Harmons yeah. had a big old sign on the wall right there, and I guess that's uh, yeah. The sign is subsumed. Uh, must by be the, gone. Yeah. The building. The, yeah. The they had a, a yard. This this building has been planned since Har- before Harmons was built. Yeah. And it's I just imagine. a question of when it would get built and what it would finally look like and. Uh, I think on every on every facet that I would judge it, it's a success. Uh, the building, the entire building looks great. It's a dramatic thing. The church stands out. It's clearly a church building there. I think it's just great. And of course, it's very functional, very functional. It's just going to serve a tremendous purpose and be a, a great blessing to a lot of people. And, um, you know, a lot of folks have been, you know, suggesting the church should invest more in churches downtown to to kind of shine that uh, light on the hill and to demonstrate a commitment towards down there. And so this is a nice step in that direction. It's just great on every every count. You know, it's funny you bring that up because there's an article I almost put in for this week, but I don't know if we'd want to talk much about it. But over at By Common Consent, Kevin Barney wrote an article kind of about, he called it like basically getting to church. And, and I know you're not speaking directly about how accessible a church building is, but when you think about that, like most of our most of our meeting houses, at least in North America, are in suburban areas, often just neighborhoods, overwhelmingly accessible primarily by car. Uh, and his whole point was wondering, like, should we be doing more or or thinking more proactively about where we put our buildings? He shared some stories in it about how I think like the sister missionaries wanted to see if somebody could pick up an investigator or somebody along those lines. And it just kind of never went anywhere because everyone's just like, it's an, incon- it's an inconvenience for people to drive out of their way and pick up investigators and do this and that. That wouldn't be an issue if you had buildings that were more easily accessible for people who don't necessarily have a car. This downtown meeting house is an example. I mean, Devin, I think uh, it's pretty darn close to where you used to live, I believe, right in downtown. Yeah, right? yeah it was a short house. walk. And you know, I, to put this into perspective, I think that within a half mile radius, let's call that you know, a, a short walk. I, I think there are five to 8,000 people that live within that distance of this chapel. Yeah. It, you know, it's, it's very densely populated uh, because of all the tall apartment, you know, skyscrapers and yeah. stuff. And, and that are apartments. The, the skyscrapers of Salt Lake city. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we could, we, I mean, we could do a little more with the business building skyline of Salt Lake folks. Let's be honest. I mean, yeah. that Wells Fargo building has been the go-to for too long. Now we gotta, we gotta think harder. I do love urban meeting houses, though. I think it's a it's a cool thing. This is obviously not the first time the church has done something like this. They haven't. I'm surprised there hasn't been much fanfare. But there's a new meeting house in my neck of the woods in Crystal City, in Virginia. A little bit different. The church 
they didn't make it so the church part of it kind of stuck out like this one does, but they built a large condominium tower in Crystal City. And then the bottom two floors are a stake center with all the trappings of a stake center. This is not something the church, you know, is new to the church out of the multi-use version. Or of course, abroad, you find meeting houses that are built in uh, all kinds of different ways. I remember one in one city in my mission over in, uh, it was in Cornea. It was great. It was like a four-story urban church building that we had, different levels with all the different stuff. And on the very top floor, you know, it's Spain, but instead of a basketball court, they had a soccer court on the top level with like skylights and stuff. It was great. It was so cool to see that kind of investment making sense for the people you know, where they were. And my mission, it made it almost a novelty in the areas when there'd actually be like a freestanding meeting house on the edge of the city or something like that that you had to mostly drive to get to or take a bus. It was kind of kind of fun. So I'm glad you had that that personal experience with that, Devin. Yeah, cool. I was thrilled to have that chance. And it came just so totally randomly, like it was the last thing I did before I headed back to the airport and totally random. Very fun. All right, handful of temple things I'm going to throw at you real fast. The Rio de Janeiro Temple, finally dedicated. The church's eighth temple in Brazil. This was slated to be dedicated uh, over two years ago. Its open house was coincided right with the shutdown uh, around the COVID pandemic. And so it sat for a long time and nobody knew when they were going to pick it up. In the in the uh, in between, I believe we dedicated temples in, uh, I think the Durban one still came just before COVID got uh, right there. But then we've had, you know, Pocatello, a few other ones in between. But it's finally there. Elder Gary E. Stevenson traveled down to Rio de Janeiro and dedicated this beautiful building that has been just like, <laughs> just lit and not functional for two whole years. And so that's great. They did it. It's wonderful. Wonderful for Rio de Janeiro to have its own temple. I mean, their closest one was, it's almost shocking Rio did not have a temple up to this point, given how large the city is in a Brazil context. So wonderful, wonderful news for them. Uh, another news, the Yigo Guam temple already going to have its open house. They are not messing around with this one. It's a much smaller building, simpler design. It's not using prefabricated panels like the what we're what we're kind of pioneering in uh, the Helena Montana temple which is a whole new construction method that's going to be really cool to watch but still they only started building this temple in uh golly well, I guess it was 2019 all right so they broke ground quickly but it was 2019 so it's been almost the 3 years which is the typical turnaround time but that went by much faster than it seemed but they still they made haste Small building, right? It's going to be one of the smallest ones in the church. It's nearly 6,900 square feet. That's very tiny. That's like down there with Colonia Juarez in terms of size. Uh, But there's a stake in Guam, but it's very isolated. Wonderful to serve the saints there. And so they are going to be having the open house from last week, Wednesday, May 4th through Saturday, May 14th. So not, sorry, out here in DC where it's like the open house is now like a part of life that's never going to end. It's just funny to see an open house that's like two weeks long, like they normally are, right? Um, and then they're going to dedicate it on May 22nd by uh, David A. Bednar. So that's great news for the Saints of Guam. Happy, happy news for them. Another quick update for you, Devin. And if you have anything to say okay, about this, you. You, you, you just chime I in. Will, I'm, not, I'm not shy. You know me. Okay. We held the groundbreaking for the temple in Farmington, New Mexico, which will be the second temple in New Mexico. Uh, I believe it's going to be about 25,000 square feet. It's kind of this newer generation of modestly sized temples, but with a new design. Uh, President Nelson announced it in April 2021 when he announced uh, 20 odd temples in that conference, the one that blew everyone away. And you've seen a lot of the temples announced in that batch. Many of them are following what appears to be a similar floor plan. So they broke ground on it. 
usually roughly three years or so. So keep an eye out for some time in 2025 and this temple in Northwest New Mexico, you're not quite four corners, but Farmington's kind of up there close to Colorado and much farther West will uh, receive its own temple, which is super great news for them. And lastly, since I mentioned the DC temple, yes, uh, just some more fun for the church to publicize senators and other dignitaries, you know, important people who have toured the temple who are not everyday folks. No, the important people have toured the temple, everyone. The politicos. There, oh, there's, Mitt, there's Mitt Romney. There's Jeff Flake. Lots of current and former senators, some of which are not members of our church, of course. I believe I see Amy Klobuchar right there. Uh, there's a picture with Justice Neil Gorsuch of the Supreme Court. He's hanging out. I don't know who else is in the picture with him, but they put him up in the header image. So, uh, you know, they're loving all the all the fancy people who were coming. And now the temple is open as of the other week to everyone else. We're going this Saturday. I'm excited to finally take my kids to it. And that'll be fun. But, you know, Supreme the, Court the Justice temple the temple is my favorite. It's as my well, favorite temple. As well it should be. I'm excited yeah. to see what, if anything's changed on the inside. One thing I looked at, the based on the photos, and I'll have to verify this because it's been so long since I've been in there. When you used to walk in, you know, you go to the recommend desk and you walk on that kind of sky bridge that goes mm-hmm. to the main building. And when you get right into the main building there, there used to be a very large mural spanning that entire lobby. And from what I've mm-hmm. seen in the pictures of the updates, there's still artwork there, but it looks like it's smaller, that artwork, than it used to be. Because mm-hmm. if I remember, it was a very large mural. Wasn't that the mural of the second coming? I think it I was think that, that whole thing. I think it was that mirror. It was the original of that uh, second coming mural. And and yeah, and so I'm so I'm sorry I'm doing this kind of on the fly while we're chatting. I'm trying to see if I can remember because I've seen the new pictures of it. Which now, yeah, I think they totally changed it, right? Because now if you look at mm-hmm. it, um, you might know Devin. Let me see if I can open an image and sh- oh, I can't share it to you. Never mind. Just search for yeah. it. Anyway, now it's uh was definitely a more modern picture of of the Savior, but. Very much more just right there in the yeah in the middle of it. Let me see. Yeah, My favorite thing about that temple. Um, yeah, yeah, they got rid. Of, yeah, yeah, it's the old. Yeah, yeah. The, no, sorry, I'm thinking out loud a lot right now. Continue. Right, what's, what's your but, favorite? Uh, yeah, thing? my favorite thing was that uh, the design of the endowment rooms uh, was such that they didn't have an aisle down the middle. They had yeah. aisles on uh, the yeah. sides, and so. Uh, everyone would race to sit next to their spouse because there were about eight seats in every endowment room where you could sit next to your spouse and they wouldn't have you, at least when I was going to that temple, you wouldn't be queued up in the same formal sense that you were in other temples. They would just sort of let you wander in and then you could go sit next to your spouse in one of those eight seats that was next to the women or if you're a guy like I was. So. Here we go. David Noyce at the Sully Tribune. Thank you, David. Hold on. There's actually a story about this. I'm not imagining things. And I do love no. that. I've loved going to sessions of City Writers with my wife. It's, it's one of the best things. Yeah. So um, the prominent painting has been removed from the newly renovated temple and is being, quote, refurbished. So it says longtime patrons will notice uh, some you know subtle changes. But that big mural titled The Last Judgment, that's what it was, the second coming. Mm-hmm. And it has this big old mural right there. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. And I like the article. Says, Some may wonder what happened to it, especially given the drama around Salt Lake Temple, the Manti Temple, for example. Uh, it's true it's been taken out, but it will be, they say, a church spokesperson, a proper placement will be determined at a future time. Yeah. So they often change it all. I hope they bring it back. That's a pretty notable work. 
And it looks like they could. They've got a very large mural there now, which is it's Dan Wilson's His Return. Nice painting. Uh, it's flanked by some plants, which I assume could be moved if they needed to put the mural back in place. So well, yeah. I'm glad there's a story about that. So it's being referred. Yeah. I hope that means they bring it back. I hope they don't. I mean, it, it is, you know, the last judgment. It, maybe it's less friendly for a, an open house. Like they want the open house to have this nice, just kind of pleasant picture of the yes. savior and not one of like people cowering in repentance before the return. That okay, I'll yeah. keep an eye on that. If they replace it like after the open house, and this is specifically a PR move, that fascinates me yeah. alone from a PR perspective. Well, I'd also love to look at that mural again with my latter day wokeness. Uh, you know, having seen that thirty years ago, um, I'm not sure that I was looking at it with the same lens I would look at it today. Yeah, uh, I'm and sure it would too. not be, you know. Given when it was created, it would not be hard to imagine that it had uh, racial or other um, tones that had sort of worked in. So it'll be interesting to see what it what it what it looks like when it comes back. Yep, you know, yep, if they've yep. changed some of the uh, uh, details in the photo in the process of of refurbishing it, in terms of like who's repenting and who's Who's celebrating the return of the Savior? <laughs> who who among you is repent? Who's actually repenting? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. curious, interesting stuff. So, yeah, there it is. Well, yeah. I hope they bring it back. Uh, yeah. There was also you kind of like this one, Devin. I'll throw it to you some temple dedication okay. milestones for the brethren. Kind of a cool, kind of a cool. Oh yes. Yeah. So this was an interesting story, and I appreciate you tossing that one to me. But yeah, President Nelson has, uh, of course, is you know, controls the schedule of, of who conducts the dedications for all the temples. And every one of the 15 brethren uh, have now uh, dedicated a temple just in the years since he was called to be the prophet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's obviously a deliberate move that he's made to rotate that among the brethren that way. And, uh, you know, if you're a young apostle, that's really kind of a neat deal. Uh you know, some apostles don't live to be especially long and don't serve. You know, we, we think of the ones that, that do serve for 30 or 40 years. Some serve for six, right? And and traditionally wouldn't have had that opportunity. And so it's great that he's he's doing that to make sure they all get that special opportunity. It's actually, yeah. And I, th- and I think the church had mentioned this before, but it's interesting to note that President Nelson himself then has one of the lowest rates of uh, temple dedications during their tenure. There have been 11 temples dedicated during his tenure and three that are upcoming in the next two months. And President Nelson has only done two of them. He did Concepcion Chile in October 2018. And then of course the Rome Italy temple, which was a big one. Like who else, given the effort yeah. we went to in Rome, who else was going to do that yeah. one? He hasn't yeah. done one since then. That's it. Yeah. And that's uh, interesting because, you know, he's so healthy. You and I have talked about this before. Yeah. I mean, he looks like he's constantly ready to go run a 10K and, uh, you know, could probably run circles around most of the 15 brethren. And, and so he d- does just beg the question, how long are we going to have him in the saddle? Because it could be a long time based on his apparent health. Here is my thought on the matter, and this is purely speculative. I, I think he's got to be around until they fix up Salt Lake, until that's done. I think he has to be preserved to see that project that he started 
come to completion. And now that's mm-hmm. been delayed even further, though. That's the issue, right? Now the salt, they think it won't be till what now? It's like 2024, 2025, something even longer. It's they delayed it even further. So yeah, I, I'm going to be a little uh, be a little optimistic here and think it'll have to be at least that long. They also noted, I didn't realize this, usually the church announces well in advance once they've announced the dedication, which um, one of the brethren is going to do the dedication. That's pretty much custom, right? Uh, and um, all scheduled ones have announced other people. They have not announced who is going to dedicate the Washington, D.C. temple still. And I think many assume it will be President Nelson, but I find it curious. And this is cool. The church, this isn't like, you know, a random blog. This is the church news actually saying that they're noting that with the possible exception of the Washington, D.C. temple dedication, uh, it still does not have an assigned leader, but everything else has been doled out to the others. So that's kind of interesting for them to actually note that. And I'm curious why they have not said so. I think that's also very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and also mm-hmm. it's worth noting, President Gordon B. Hinckley uh, did 81.8% of the temple dedications during his presidency, which is amazing because so many of those were the mini temples that he announced and they and we just churned out like 50 in a year. And so President Hinckley must have yeah. just been jet-setting all over the world, cranking out dedications. In his dedication. 90s. Yeah. In his 90s. So fascinating yeah. stuff. Fascinating yeah. stuff, man. Amazing. Okay. All right. All right. All right. All right. Let's uh, I'm gonna talk about the manacled Mormon. Um, this was a case that's come up a bit more in the press because of Under the Banner of Heaven being out right now on FX slash Hulu, right? Because uh, this is another, you'd think, you, the story of the Manacle Mormon, and this is, to be clear, uh, if you're listening with children, this would be a time to turn it down or pause or return later. But <laughs> it was also known as the Mormon Sex in Chains case. This was never brought to court because of extradition issues and things like that. But there's an American woman, Joyce McKinney, who was in England and allegedly kidnapped a missionary, Kirk Anderson, from like the steps of a meeting house in the UK. And then chained him to a bed and raped him repeatedly. And that's what this was. So the thing is, then they fled to the, to the she was an American, but she fled to the United States uh, on a falsified passport of all things, but was never able to be brought to trial for that exact case. Her history is bizarre, even beyond that. She learned... She made clones of her pet bull in South Korea. She was later charged with plotting to have a teenager break into a house to raise funds for the pro- a prosthetic leg for a horse. And I think I would think this is made up, but like I checked the citation. Um, she sued Errol Morris for making a documentary about her. And in, in 20, 2019 in the San Fernando Valley in California, she also killed a holo- 91-year-old Holocaust survivor in a hit and run crash in the valley. This this is a, a checkered history, if ever wow. there was one. So, wow. so uh, anyway, so they apparently posed as an investigator to Mormonism, allegedly using a fake handgun and chloroform. And then three days later, after after what they did to the missionary, allegedly, I guess I still legally have to say, I don't know, but um, they freed him, and there was a report to police and all kinds of things. So we're not going to tell you the whole story. You want to know why? Because the fine people of the woke liberal media are going to do it for us folks um that's right now we get to see the the manacle mormon case will be a movie called sinner versus v saints like batman v superman and that went great so what could go wrong with this title sinner v saints 
Dawn of Justice. It's going to star Freddie Highmore of The Good Doctor, or you might have known him when he was a kid when he was like Finding Neverland, and Maisie Williams from Game of Thrones. It will be directed by Tim Kirkby, who also did Fleabag and Veep. Um, the, the, the press release is... Okay. The press release says, Sinner v. Saints takes us on a riotous journey, and we were immediately captivated by Jill Hop's witty script, which brings this incredible true story to life. Why is everyone like up about this? I mean, I get that it's a crazy story, but the way this is written, it's like, what a wacky, zany good time this is going to be, folks. Wait till you yeah. hear the, the witty dialogue. Uh, it's like, well, there was a, a man who was sexually assaulted during all of this, people. I don't yeah. know why we're... Yeah you know, having a good time with this. So, uh, yeah, apparently that's going to be a, it's going to be a film. I guess I didn't specify whether it's going to, it says feature film, but did not specify whether it's going to be actually released in cinemas or in this day and age, you know, straight to streaming or anything like that, especially given who's directing it It has primarily HBO type credits. So, yeah. Anyway, that's going to be coming to a place near us at some point in the future. And we can have another fun, weird period of our history thrown out across the your home screen yeah. of potentially dubious quality yes Yay. i think the uh, well, interesting, to see, interesting to see how we're portrayed in that you know i've been watching under the banner of heaven and um i imagine you have too but it's it has been interesting to me uh that uh it hasn't bothered me much because it is pure fiction, right? Uh, well, even the main character the, is fiction. They made up the investigator. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 every aspect of it just feels made up. It doesn't, it, th- there's no resonance, right? I was raised in Utah. I was alive when this happened, and it doesn't resonate at all. You know, some of the storytelling around, uh, you know, Mark Hoffman, for instance, that resonated with me, right? Some of the, yeah. they got some oh, yeah. of those and we, details and we had right. murder among, and we had murder among the Mormons last year. See, we're just, yeah. we're all over yeah. it right now. So uh, this one is just, it's just kind of fun to watch because it's not about us. It just pretends to be about Does us. Does it also have just like wacky, witty dialogue, rapid fire no, no, delivery, no. All, all kinds of fun stuff. It's just a, it's just a fun story of, no. of you know, murder no, it's, and it's, one's faith. It's melodrama about a fictitious church. Uh, that's all it is. Uh, you know, and they use some Mormon phrases, but it's, uh, you know, there's, yeah, it's just shocking how little of it really resonates. And that's what, uh, there was this, uh, op-ed in the wall street journal. And I confess, I'm not a huge fan of what usually gets posted in the op-ed pages of the wall street journal, but, <laughs> but, uh, Daryl Austin, a guy from Utah, Wrote And I thought it was interesting that he said exactly what I feel. But he said, you know, uh, you know, he, he quoted a, an LDS historian who said that none of the Mormon scholars I was sitting with in the premiere, all of whom know full well how to apply an open critical gaze to our own culture and tradition, recognized ourselves or our people in the show. That's just it. It, it just as you watch it, it's kind of entertaining. It's an interesting story, uh, but it's. It just feels so far removed from uh, what we know about our own church that it just doesn't have that connection to authenticity. It's just fiction. You're just watching a fictitious show about a fictitious church. 
I guess the main thing you have to wonder, though, is for the non-Latter-day Saints who are watching it, do they appreciate the nuance and, and the distinction that yeah, it is I, uh, yeah. a fictitious portrayal of a for- fictitious? Because I've got colleagues who have seen it, and they're like, you yeah. guys do this? And I'm like, no, <laughs> no. And, like, they, and this is exactly what the church didn't like to, you know, 19 years yeah. ago when the book came out. And now instead it puts us on the defensive a bit and we have to field questions. It's like, no, 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 that's... But I think I read the book. No. I read the book and, and at least the, the book, you felt like it was a, about the church. Uh, and and let's be clear about, you know, the, the fundamentalist groups uh, adjacent to the church who were practicing polygamy and some of the crap that was going on. And that's part of the problem with the the new show is that it, it essentially assigns these people who are in fact not members of the church in good standing as if, and treats them as if they were in fact yeah. members in good standing and just members of the faith. And they weren't, they were, they were fundamentalists uh, adjacent to the church. And, and there's a huge difference as any of us in the church know. Yeah. yeah. Like McKay Coppins. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yes. I hear you. Yep. Well, once we, it's fun. I guess we'll be covering under the banner of heaven until it concludes. You know, it's come up every yeah. week. It's kind of funny. There's always yeah, I'm something. Sorry. Yeah. Some. Yeah. All right. Here, I love you know, I love me some uh, demographic analysis over at our friend at Times and Seasons. Fun little article from Stephen C. It said the future of the church. This is part five of a series. When will there be more African wards than North American wards? And so, if you've uh, somehow missed it. The church is growing very quickly in Africa um, compared to anywhere else in the world. And so he runs a projection uh, by starting point in 2010, driving the percentage. He's doing 11-year increments based on, uh, well, he says, he says, with enough elbow grease, I wish I could get a more precise estimate. Growth rate is extrapolated thus far as undoubtedly an oversimplification. You know, he's trying to work all these different things into it to, to project a growth rate across different regions of the world. And uh, the question really is, like, will Africa surpass North America? North America has the most congregations of anywhere in the church. And will it surpass it? And he's got it somewhere around uh, nipping up on 2050, maybe a little bit before that, according to his projection, which, mm-hmm. again, is just a projection, right? Interesting to think about, uh, think about that. Uh, in general, really, when you get to it, like how would that be? It's pretty far in the f- it's pretty far in the future. At the same time, it's twenty eight years in the future, which isn't crazy far in the future. I mean, you know, yeah. what was what was twenty eight years ago in nineteen ninety four? Friends was premiering. Doesn't seem like it was that long ago, yeah. right? So, yeah. um, I think that's kind of interesting. And he notes, he says, it's not written anywhere that the church's institutions have to be based in the United States. I mean, they are kind of like they are because they are. Right. But he says, mm-hmm. like, maybe in the next half century, we'll be broadcasting general conference from Accra, which is the capital of Ghana. Um, additionally, it may become more difficult to justify subsidizing non-technical applied education at BYU for a well-off minority of U.S. church members when the population center is shifting elsewhere. That's an interesting comment, honestly. And he says he su- suspects the drive to internationalize the Pathways program is part of uh, an anticipation in these shifts. But that's, of course, just conjecture. On his part, a lot of conjecture here to go around, but yeah. it, it does bring up an interesting point where if the growth rate in North America and elsewhere stays kind of level and doesn't really, it grows, but not increasing. If we've been decreasing on growth rates, whereas in Africa, it just keeps going up and up and up. I have to, yeah, the more, 
would be like that's that. yeah it's so far into the future i'm a little skeptical of his projections even he sure. explains so there are a lot of good reasons why the growth rate we're seeing now which he just simply assumes continues uh will slow but um it's easy to believe that uh on the schedule he predicts the number of congregations in africa will exceed those in south america yeah. He's saying that could happen by 2030 or so. Um, you know, whether that happens in 2030 or 2040, it's clear it's headed in that direction. Um, and that's much more likely to occur. Um, one of the interesting observations is that the growth in South America has flattened to, uh, according to his data, essentially zero. Um, that there yeah. is no growth in South America over the last 11 years. Uh, so that's an interesting thing when the growth is so rapid in, in Africa. So anyway, it's, it'll be fa fascinating to see what this picture, in fact, looks like in 2030, 2040, and 2050. And I am, and I am curious cool. about that. If you look at the church's website, official reported members on the rolls in South America is 4.2 million members in South America. Uh, what is unclear to me, actually, let's see, are they including Mexico? No. And that is like geographic South America. Okay. That's not Latin mm -hmm. America. That is South America. Mm -hmm. So cutting off uh, at Colombia, right? Pa Panama is not part of this. Panama is considered North America, I'm assuming, based on this. Let's double check. Yes. Yes, it is. North America has 9.5 million members uh, and South America has 4 million members. Uh, Africa, for all the growth, which is still wonderful, not even a million members in all of Africa. 736,000 members across the entire continent, across 60 odd countries, right? Yeah. So it's got, it's, it has been growing much faster. And that's the one thing you can see when you see the growth rate where it's, everyone else has kind of gone up. Plat yeah. I mean, you can, man, look at this total church membership, the way it's kind of plateauing for most of them. Europe's probably going down. Yep. Europe's going down. <laughs> Europe has half a million members. Um, the trend line is, is quite real in Africa. So it'll be yeah. interesting to watch that. Oceania, how's that doing? It's fun to see this by region. Yeah. So Africa does have the second largest by region. It's got North America, South America, then Africa. Africa's got, oh no, sorry. I think Asia might have more. Sorry about that. Then Asia, 1.29, 1.25 million members. Then Africa, then like Oceania, and then little Europe. I love you, Europe. You and the yeah. faithful saints who have no converts coming your way. Bless you all. Wonderful people. It'll be interesting to see if anything changes in Asia. Um, I wouldn't predict it based on my experience in, in Asia, but, uh, but yeah, it's an, an interesting question. There are a lot of people in Asia. Uh, well, well, and now that Bong Bong Marcos Jr. is going to be the president of the Philippines, there's no stopping yes. it. All bets are <laughs> off. It's going to be great. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's a good point. Uh Philippines has been a fertile territory for us. So Just a little bit. And, yeah, I don't, but it's, and I don't think it's by chance. It's a it's the only Catholic country, you know, in in Asia. So course, of course we have more course, fertile ground yeah. in a Christian nation than elsewhere. Makes sense. Yeah. 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 Well, uh this is fabulous stuff. So let me just uh pull up um something that you you caught and I found fascinating. Uh, as I think you did oh. too. If you don't mind, I'll jump into this Hank Smith piece that you yeah, go for it, go for it. You flagged, but uh, you know, Hank Smith, uh, BYU professor, uh, retweeted uh, a white supremacist 
uh, named Dan Whoopsie. McKinley. Uh, and then after you know having the error called to his attention, he he deleted or unretweeted the tweet. Um, but it, the article here uh, by, in By Common Consent is a fascinating uh, deciphering of the white supremacist sort of doctrine, faith, pseudoscience, et cetera, et cetera. And it, it is just fascinating to sort of listen to it deciphered or to read it uh, so I really do recommend this by common consent article to everyone because um, you kind of go, oh, when you hear that, that's what that means. Oh, oh, yeah. It was just a constant one of those for me. Um, oh, it's nuts. Like when you go down the deep end. I mean, I'm glad that. Yeah. I'm glad that Hank Smith retracted. For one thing, it's like it's a lesson to all of us. Don't retweet, retweet something because one little a couple of words in it sound good. Yeah. It makes sense. Take the time to make sure you're not retreat, retweeting uh, someone who believes that Mormonism is the inheritance of the ancient Abrahamic fertility cult, the Celtic Christianity of antiquity, and the American Enlightenment. It is also yeah. a merger of the 13th bloodline, Merovingians, which is a, a, a white European thing, with lost Amerindian esotericism. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, which is almost indecipherable, but sounds vaguely flattering to Mormons. And then he sort of break it down and understand the nonsense that's baked into this that's clearly and overtly white supremacist. You just go, holy, wow. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I mean, yeah. like, it, like the, yeah, I mean, it's essentially, it's, it's talking about pure blood all the time that we're, we're inheriting that, slamming other faiths like people in Eastern religions, for example, like we look to them for truth. Um, Talking about Joseph Smith was a direct blood descendant of Jesus Christ. Yeah. His primordial yeah. Irish ancestors practiced a form of Christianity that was destroyed by Rome. He had the divine birthright to the primeval priesthood. There's some weird stuff out there, my friend. Yeah. Makes, De makes Denver snuffer look normal. This is great stuff. Good to know. Yeah. yeah. Well, I've only got one bit in it. Well, first of all, no Trek Essentials. Devin, will you be going on Trek? Will you be going on Trek this year? I, I have been such a fan of Trek. No, you um, haven't. No one's yes. a fan of Trek. I, I I have been a fan of Trek since I didn't go when I was a teenager. I remember my best friend, one of my best friends went on Trek. Uh, probably the guy I was hanging out with the most that summer. Uh, he went on Trek and for some reason I couldn't go. And I don't remember now what it was, travel or something. And I couldn't go. Oh, no, it was... Um, he was 14 and I was 13. And so I wasn't invited and didn't get to go. And just the way things worked out, I never got to go as a teenager, missed it. But I remember he got in trouble and got kicked off, uh, got kicked off track. Um, cause he couldn't handle it. I think, you know, they did they, that, that year they gave him some unholy amount of time <laughs> for teenagers to go pray. I mean, they gave him like hours, go pray for hours alone, wander in the wilderness. So he set off walking to the nearest convenience store, which was like seven <laughs> miles away. <laughs> he said, I, okay, I, you're going to give me six hours. I'm going to go get a soda. And uh, they caught him and, and sent him home. Um, but, and they sent him home? They didn't let him stick yeah, around? 
Yeah, which of course, you know, is like right. the perfect way to re- reward him for wandering off. Oh my um, gosh. But but yeah, I desperately I, I missed out on that so much that uh, it it haunted me for years, and uh, so I finally got to go a couple of times when I was in the stake presidency years ago, and uh, uh, great experiences, really and truly great experiences. I don't, uh, get, I, I loved it, but I was to say I don't get the history of of Trek. Like, yeah, this was not a thing in Southern California. I do not know anyone who did anything anywhere close to this, but now I see it. It's happening in my stake here. Like I see kids doing it elsewhere. Yeah. So I know it might've been a Utah thing for a long time. Was there some weird pivot point when we decided to encourage saints outside of the Intermountain West to also do these? And was that in more recent history? Yeah, I have not? no idea if there's any data on, you know, firming up testimonies, getting more kids on missions. I have no idea if there's any data on any of that. Um, and, and no idea. Uh, well, I mean, so I don't know if we're, yeah, I don't know if it, you know, if a prophet somewhere along the line said everybody ought to do this. Um, but, but I, I rather, uh, loved the, loved the experience that I had as an adult, uh, supporting kids doing it. And I, I think, you know, every, every stake does it differently. Right. Yeah. And so I went with, with a stake that had a really low bar. Like, let's make this, relatively speaking, a safe experience. We're going to take nurses. We're going to make sure everybody's got plenty of water. And we're going to feed them enough that no one, you know, we're not going to, it's not going to be feasts. It's going to be dinner. Uh, but no one is going to pass out because they didn't get enough calories. Um, that sort of philosophy. And so it was it was a really fun experience for most of the kids with that, a meaningful spiritual encounter that there's some things that still get exaggerated. Um, you know, the, the, I I thought the the group I went with did a pretty good job of acknowledging that like when the, 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 the story of the men leaving to go do the Mormon battalion, uh, was not portrayed as a burden uh, or an obligation, you know, sometimes it's portrayed by some stakes as being sort of a, a thing that, that, you know, the army came and stole the men or something against their better judgment. Of course, the church, the brethren were thrilled that there was an opportunity to go earn some cash that they desperately needed to, to you know, to march to San Diego. And it was, it was a huge blessing to the church. Yeah, uh, yeah. And so in, in my stake, that was portrayed reasonably well. And, uh, but the uh, it was kind of fun to watch the girls pulling the hand carts themselves up a hill and to see how moved they were by the experience and uh, and then to see the boys come back and help them fish finish. It was really a moving experience. So it, it can be a really powerful thing. Um, but of course, we're not here to talk about any of that. Well, no, Today, I mean, I, we're no, here to talk Devin, about funny clothes. <laughs> no, Devin, you've humbled me because I'm, I'm not a believer in Trek, probably because I didn't do yeah. it growing up. And it's always yeah, like, a I peculiarity mean, for me. But here you are with worthwhile experiences and many other people yeah. have them. And now I'm terrified I'll somehow get involved in it now that I'm in the bishopric. I'm trying to <laughs> yeah. avoid it. Uh, but I, 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 I have to admit, there's a part of me that's a little offended by these uh, Trek essentials uh, that Desert Book is now selling. 
Well, of course, because uh, it's all, this is just an article at LDS Living. This is all this is all the church industrial complex all working together. Yeah. Um, it's LDS Living owned by the church. All, all they're saying, 12 Trek Essentials, they're not giving you tips. Get the most from your journey. It's literally just links to items you can buy from Desert Book. A Trek apron, a Trek blouse, Trek bloomers, a Trek frontier shirt, a Trek pioneer shirt. Yeah. There, there's no tips on like how to get through Trek or anything like that. It's just yeah. saying, hey, you can buy this pioneer shirt for $25. Then you can buy a yeah. duck vest for $25. And you can just, you know, your Trek satchel, your faith in every footstep bandana. You could also buy Trek the movie. And don't forget your Trek suspenders. Which I can't believe they still sell because the poster of Trek the movie says, it's a Mormon thing. How could (laughs) they? How can this even be? How have they not demanded the producers of said film change their ways? Oh boy! Yeah, I remember I watched Trek the movie once. I think someone actually was nice enough to send it to send. Someone sent me a screener, uh, which was fun. But uh, anyway, you can buy Trek yeah. stuff, and LDS Living and yeah. at Tall are going to help you to do that. Okay. Yeah. Fine. Yeah, this this just reminds me of Church for Rich Mormons. That's I guess what bothers me a little bit because you know I, I the stake I was in where we went a couple of times That's... we went we went with a rich stake, um, and and we were sort of a, a low in, lower income inner city stake and you know both stakes did a really good job of making sure that you were using hand hand down you know hand me down kind of things that you you know if you bought anything you bought it at di. Um, this was a low budget affair, that put no economic pressure on people. This was about a spiritual journey and the idea that you might spend a hundred or 150 bucks to outfit someone or $200. If you got changes of clothes, um, it kind of bugs me. Yeah, well, yeah, no, my, it offends my sense of uh, sensibilities about trying to make this an egalitarian experience that is spiritually meaningful to people. Well, look, Devin, you can have the good photo op or not. You can't have kids just standing there, you know, <laughs> in their lands and shirts. <laughs> yeah. That was going to be optimistic. Their lands sure, yeah. lands and shirts. Yes, exactly. Yeah. If it would have been me, it would have been like wearing my rage against the machine t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. Uh, back in the nineties, I guess. Something like that. So yeah. anyway, that's anyway. fun. Um, Last little bit of news here for the week. Some interesting news that came through the uh, apparatus of Salt Lake City. Updates on military temple garments. If you haven't been familiar with this, uh, maybe you have. So, you know, garments are white. That's the idea when you buy them from a distribution center. But for many years, members of the military have been able to buy specially produced garments that essentially match the colors of their uniforms. Because if you're wearing uh, your combat fatigues, uh, and who for many are their, their everyday wear, um, unless the, uh, I don't know how the rollout's going for the army's replacement for their actual like office uniform, which is a cool idea, but usually it's a olive greenish t-shirt you see underneath there, right? In many cases, they designed this so you could get garments that were that color fabric that were marked up appropriately as garments. So the members of the military were not wearing a garment layer underneath all of that, which would be three layers of clothing, uh, day in and day out. Of course, the one thing to bear in mind is usually it's not uncommon for them to take off their their coat and be just in their uh, the brown top while they're doing things, but it's up to them to figure out, right? 
But the church has offered this to members of the military for many years. They're going to be discontinuing that, though, and instead uh, allowing it to better meet the needs of uniform requirements. As they say, the church will now provide undergarment marking services free of charge through Beehive Clothing. The release doesn't go into detail about like what that means. Does that mean you just kind of buy your stuff that you have and you have to like send it out to Beehive Clothing and it comes back? And then if that's the case, what do you do when you don't have your under your military undergarments in the first place? Not quite sure, but uh, they will they will take care of that free of charge through Beehive Clothing. I'm sure everyone can sort it out. It's available to all branches of the U.S. military. U.S. military people. Sorry, I just like that. It's like you know what? If you're serving in the Ukrainian military, <laughs> tough, tough caboodle, tough. Yeah. Well, no, okay. It does say other equivalent organizations outside the U.S. So I don't know why they don't just say military branches worldwide. This kind of goes back to the whole, you know, American centric nature of things, right? Firefighters and then local county, state and federal law enforcement officers kind of as needed, right? So I guess you have to figure out what the process of, of that will be, what it will entail. And it's interesting to see this change because it was many years ago they updated garments themselves where, you know, garments have markings on them. But they changed it to print those on to the garments instead of being stitched. And by by updating the entire process to do that with newer garments, it makes a process like this one all that much easier. Because it's much more of an undertaking to say, send in your stuff and we can embroider them more or less. As opposed to, like it says here, marking services free of charge. So it's cool they're doing this. I'm glad they're supporting people in uniform who need this kind of help. Um I'm hoping, I, I, not being one who serves, I don't know if that's like onerous to have to like take all your stuff and like ship it to the church and get it back as opposed to just going online and ordering garments that are designed for you. I'm not sure, but I can understand the church kind of getting out of that game because it gets too hard to keep track of, like they say, uh, the needs of uniform requirements, right? Those evolve, different services, different countries. Like where do you draw the line and how many specially produced garments you're making for different right. organizations? I think it's to cool that they do this. Yeah. I think it's a, it's a cool solution to me. Obviously, it's 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 extra work compared to just ordering garments, but um, also it allows for members who are are going to benefit from this to have much more uh, peer friendly underwear. Uh, That's true too. Which, yes, which is important, and so I think most folks that will use these will be glad to go to the effort. Uh, I hope. Hope that's how they feel. Well, you know, I, I encourage our. Uh, by the way, our email is down right now, folks. So don't email. Message us on Facebook. Message me on Facebook if you want to talk to me. I'm sorting through some stuff, but um, we uh, that's that's a whole story. We lost our uh, Google workspace for the time being. But send me a note if you're in the military. I'd love to hear about this. I should honestly ask some of the people in my ward. I serve an ward that's wedged between two sizable military installations because uh, you got Quantico on one end, and Fort Belvoir on another. To say nothing of some other areas. And this is DC, right? Uh, I have to imagine this could affect some of these individuals. I'd be curious to get their feedback. You know what? I'll look into this, Devin. I'm going to the movies tomorrow night with an air with an Air Force guy. Tomorrow night, we'll find out. Uh, I want to hear. I want to hear what you what do you learn? Maybe I'll send people the news and see what they think about it. All right, good deal. Well, folks, it's been real. It's been fun. This is kind of a longer show than I planned. An hour ten. Where did the time go? Sorry, I, that's not what you're saying. You're wondering when this interminable time will be over. But now, <laughs> it is now. Also, big shout out to those of you who watch on YouTube. Hit that, hit that. If you don't watch us on YouTube, it's fun. You can see Devin and I talking to one another, laughing, and you can hit that subscribe yeah. button, get the, hit the notification bell. Always get updates on when we put out these videos. We encourage you to do that. And of course, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a pleasant, lovely review that I'll read on air. 
Uh, and once again, major thank you to our Patreon supporters for supporting the show financially, helping us keep it going. It's very kind. We can't do it without you guys, literally. So you make the difference. So if you want to be part of that, go to patreon.com slash This Week in Mormons and uh, sign up. Join the team. You know, a couple bucks a month. Every little bit helps. We appreciate it very much. Uh, of course, support Devin on his My Life in Alternating Current, whatever it is you're doing. OurSolarTrailer.com. That's the one. The trailer That's itself the is solar, not solar powered. It's an actual solar trailer. It comes from the sun. <laughs> anyway, visit, like that. Go, go visit like Devin that. on there, and uh, we appreciate all of you taking the time to listen here. Devin, great to see you, my friend. I hope we'll see you soon. Great to be with you. Thank you. Take care, buddy, and thanks for listening to Twim, everyone. Talk to you next week. Have a good one. Bye bye. <laughs>